Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you turn in your Bibles, we'll begin uh, today, Luke chapter 5 and part 11 of our Savior's saga. Two more miracles today. Anybody thankful for the miracles in your own life? Amen. We have a couple more of them today. And I love these miracles. And the second one is so beautifully a picture of the cross that we can't miss that. And so it ties wonderfully into our time at the Lord's table. Jesus is now, remember, traveling through the region of Galilee. And he's doing so primarily in making sure that people understand who he is. And he's authenticating that he is, in fact, God's son that he's able to be our Savior and be our Lord because he himself is God, and he's able to do things that only God can do. We pick up now with one of my favorite New Testament characters, the wonderful Apostle Peter. Foot and mouth, speak before you think, Peter. Amen? Anybody identify with Peter in the Bible? <laughs> it's like we're prone to do exactly what Peter does, amen? And so would you join me? We'll pray. We'll pick up here in verse 1 and take these first uh, 15 verses here in Luke chapter 5. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your own son, your son who was given by you for our salvation, sacrificed in our place, his blood, Jesus, your blood poured out so that we might have life eternal. We worship you today and we pray that your word would speak to us, encourage those who are downcast, strengthen those who are weak, lift up those who are broken. Lord, for those of us who are doing well today, would our gaze still be on heaven? Would we never take for granted the great salvation we have in you, Jesus? It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Verse 1, Luke chapter 5. And so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And so as I reminded you last time, this is the Sea of Galilee. It's the Sea of Tiberias. It's Lake Gennesaret. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is this lake uh, that is there in the northern part of Israel. And, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Now he's been to Simon's mother-in-law's home. He's healed her and asked him to put a little out from land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now I love this because this is a rabbi from Nazareth, nowhere near the lake. He's not a fisherman and he's talking to professional fishermen. And so Jesus is about to step into an area that we would think 
he would rely on the expertise of those who'd been fishing the Sea of Galilee most of their lives. But instead, he simply proves who he is. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. And there in the Jeff Gill nearly inspired version, it says, so what are you doing talking to us? We're the pros here. We shop at Bass Pro Shop. (laughs) We have the latest bait. We've done everything there is to do, and we have caught absolutely nothing. But nevertheless, that's your word. Okay, we're going to appease you. Nevertheless, it's your word. Now, there's some faith mixed with a little bit of concern here. At your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled up both the boats. So they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, and here's where we can tell he was speaking with pride and unbelief. Here's how we know exactly what was going on in Peter's head, at least in a general sense. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In other words, I didn't think you could do it. I didn't believe you, Lord. I wasn't trusting you. I was speaking from my flesh. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Why? Because they had tried and caught nothing. Their flesh had done all their flesh could do, and their flesh was unsuccessful, so they figured nobody can do anything about this dry fishing hole. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. They've got their own little, you know, Peter and Zebedee's sons fishing company. They were partners, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. In other words, I'm not mad at you. Um, I'm not going to get on your case. I understand you don't possess the faith that you need, but you'll get it. I love the tenderness of Jesus in dealing with Peter. I don't know about you, but the, the more often I have to deal with the same problem in someone's life, I'm a little less prone to be as gracious. Amen? Anybody else like that? Maybe, you, maybe it's just me. But I think most of us, when we come across a repetitive problem that we have to deal with, we become less and less gracious. Not so with the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, and praise God for that truth. Amen? You, you can't outsend the grace of God. Now, you can pronounce that you don't know him, but his great grace is greater than your ability to sin. His love for you is greater than your lack of faith. Don't be afraid from now on. You will catch a lot bigger fish than these, Simon. They're going to be men. <laughs> and so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus first presents this picture of who he is as creator God. Now, I want you to notice something here as you look at this passage. 
Jesus so overdoes what needs to be done that it's very clear he's not just trying to say something simple. A handful of fish would have been more than these guys caught. Amen? Two, three fish, anything would have been better than what they had previously been able to do in and of themselves. But Jesus is telling them something else. He's not just saying, I'm better than you. He's saying, I have complete command of everything. Now, we don't know how far he called out into the lake to have the fish turn to that spot and avoid the fact that there was a net down there and get in the net to the point that both boats were completely filled with fish. But Jesus is exercising his authority over the creation. And that's the beautiful part about this. You see, sometimes we think that our circumstances are so great that God cannot overcome them. But they are never too big for God. And there's never a lack when the king is involved. He has both the power and the authority to accomplish anything he desires to do. Including things that to you are impossible. You see, to Peter and his fishing company, this was ridiculous. Peter basically says, let's humor Jesus. Right? Jesus is out there. He knows nothing about fishing. He's from Nazareth. He's a carpenter's son. Maybe he could build the boat, but forget the fishing part. And so Peter in his flesh, much like we respond very often, when confronted with things in our lives, we return to our flesh, don't we? We we look at things from how we perceive it with what we could possibly do with what we know and what we have, our flesh. And Jesus Jesus is saying to them, I have a few things at my disposal that you do not have. Matter of fact, I have everything at my disposal and you don't. And so God is speaking to the disciples, this, this early bunch of disciples, in a way that they could understand exactly what Paul would write to the church at Colossae there in the first chapter. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation, and there's nothing that's ever been created that he didn't both create and it was created for him. It's his. So in your own life, There's nothing God can't do. Nothing. Whatever your need is, he has more than enough supply to meet that need. And so we need to rest and trust in him. You you see, if you were to travel there, uh, you would come to this northern section of the Sea of Galilee, and it was bounded then by a number of little tiny communities. This particular photo was taken from up above the Sea of Galilee in an area that contains both the twin towns of Corazon and Bethsaida. And this was where Jesus would do a vast majority of his miracles. But as he was looking down at the sea, he, he sees, well, that sea's mine. Those sheep are mine. Those trees are mine. That lake is mine. I created the atoms and the molecules that make up that H2O that's in that lake. It's all his. He's not seeing it as a big body of water that needs to have some boats and some nets. He's seeing it, I created that lake. I created the fish in it. I'm the one who created mankind. 
And so what we see is a journey going across this lake. Jesus sees as, this is my lake that I control. Jesus isn't, in that sense, the way you and I are, looking at anything as it's some kind of difficulty. He's just saying, that's mine. I know exactly where every last fish is in that lake. I know what it takes to speak to these people. And during that day and time, the boats that were used on the lake, matter of fact, in 1986, when we travel there, we go to the Jesus Boat Museum because it actually is a first century boat. It's the only one that's ever been found. As you might imagine, boats and water equal rot. A couple of brothers were searching for loose coins and artifacts from the first century when they stumbled upon this boat buried in the mud on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee at Noth Gennesar, this kibbutz. And as they began to dig and uncover parts of it, they realized it was a full fishing boat. So this is exactly the size. This is from the first century of the boats that Jesus was undoubtedly in. They were roughly... 27 to 21 feet long, uh, very narrow, maybe two and a half to three meters wide, um, but they were unstable. And so you can imagine going out on the lake and filling an entire boat full of fish and then trying to get it back to shore. It wasn't like these had built-in flotation. There was no foam in the hull. There was nothing. These were wooden boats that if you did not put some pitch on the outside of them periodically, they didn't even resist the water flowing back into the boat. They didn't have joiners and planers. They didn't have marine glue. They didn't have them metal clad. And so Jesus basically says, look, I've got this. I know where the fish are. Those fish are actually tilapia. Uh, and yes, we catch some of them. So if you like tilapia, Jesus was a tilapia fan, okay? <laughs> Matter of fact, when you travel to Israel, if you go to a restaurant and you ask for St. Peter's fish, you're going to get a tilapia. But Jesus knew where the fish were. Our fishermen found three. Jesus found a whole boat, couple of boats full. Amen? That's who Jesus is in our lives. And so as you think on this, there's some lessons we can learn from the lake shore before we move on to the second miracle. First and foremost, you can kind of see Peter's pride. And I think we're all a little bit prone to that. Prone to thinking that we know better than God from time to time. And the reason I can say that is because of the actions that we take. If I have understanding about some subject and I feel that I can handle that by myself, then here's what happens. I don't actually ask God what to do. I just do what I know how to do. I don't stop long enough to even consider that maybe God has some other plan. And while it's never a bad thing to use your mind, it's not a bad thing to use your gifts or your talents or your skills it is always the best thing to consider the Lord first. Peter's saying, look, we tried what you're going to do, dude. If you think you're going to catch something, go for it. But we're going to stand here, and when you get done pulling up an empty net like we have, we're going to laugh at you. That's basically Peter's pride in action. You can see it. You can see it by the response. 
like, okay, whatever, we'll, throw, we'll appease you, we'll throw the net down. As the Lord begins to speak from this pulpit that he's now in, which is nothing more than a boat pushed out a little way into the water as the sound bounces off the water and up the lake shore. Peter's sitting there, kind of with a little bit of pride also. Hey, he's in my boat. Any of you ever had that? It's like, I brought him to church. <laughs> We're so weird like that, aren't we? we? Like take credit for everything. Isn't it true? You know, you, you, you sit there and you think about how in the world did the Lord do these things? And instead of, you know, it's, well, it's the program, it's the church, it's the pastor, it's the worship team. They have really good coffee. <laughs> they serve up gallons of Christian crack every single Sunday. That's why people go there. <laughs> and it's just the Lord. It, there is no explanation for what God does save Jesus as Lord. He's that good. So Peter in his flesh then responds. We can actually see him do this. He's basically saying, hey, Jesus, we're the professional fishermen. You should be asking us. You should come to us for the answers. But ultimately, we also see what happens in Peter's life, which is the result of him finally getting it. Anybody else praise God for hard-headed Peter? Because he gives you hope for yourself. <laughs> Amen? You know, you keep doing the same thing over and over again. You finally go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop resisting God. And you cave in, and you say, Lord, I'm just going to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm tired of deceiving myself. And so Peter finally says, look, I got it. And there's such a wonderful progression in this little tiny scene. You know, every once in a while, you just simply have to thrust out a little bit from where you're already at. you got to take a step of faith. That's all that is. It's like, Peter, push me out in the water. Just do something that is against what you think you know. Take a step of faith. But once you take that step of faith, here's the crazy thing. God might actually ask you to go out into the deep. He might move you out just a little bit further than you're really comfortable with. You see, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, because it's the inlet in from the Jordan River, is fairly shallow. It has beaches and all kinds of things. They're mostly gravel but it has a long shoreline, and then it just drops off into nothing. It's not very deep, actually. But once you're out there where the water's deep, when you can no longer stand up, you've probably watched people at the beaches here in Southern California. You go over to Rat Beach, and you watch people in the water. When they've come from Indiana, it's kind of fun, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little twisted that way. But they, they get out into, you know, you watch them. And you can tell because they've got SPF 8,000 on and their legs glow. But they get out in the water and they first, they kind of, you ever watch them and they're kind of like, they're wondering what this water thing is that moves stuff that they've never seen. And then all of a sudden the first wave comes and it hits them about, you know, the middle of their thighs. And they're like, oh. And then eventually they get out to where they're looking at their wave and you see that look of terror on their face. It's like, what have I done? 
It's kind of our spiritual walk with the Lord, isn't it? You know, first the Lord says, you know, I understand you're just trying to get your feet wet. You kind of want to know what this experience is about. And then eventually you learn how to dive underneath that wave. You're not going to drown. It just looks like you're going to drown. And so God does that work of faith in your life. And it is in that place that the Lord speaks to you and says, okay, now let down your net. You've trusted me. You've done what I've asked. You've gotten away from the shallow water. You're in the deep water. Toss your net out and see if he's not good. Amen? Because what you're going to find is God is good. Trust me in this. This is the way the Lord works in our lives. And we don't like that sometimes. We want all the answers on the front end. Isn't it crazy? You know, it used to be when you applied for a job, you just went in and applied for a job. Amen? And now you go online and you have to find out, well, every third Tuesday I get to have my nails done. You know, there's, there's like a job description that include, includes every bit of minutia about your tasks that you're going to be doing and all those kind of things. We like to know what we're getting ourselves into. It's part of our humanness. And sometimes God just says, go out in the deep and throw your net in. Trust me. Don't miss that because it's an absolutely essential part of your growth. Peter here summons his partners, who by now had launched the other boat. Peter's there, he's going, yeah, this is a Bass Pro Tilapia Master 5000 with the Hummingbird Fish Finder on it, and we have caught nothing. And Jesus says, yeah, I don't need the fish finder. I don't need your braided fishing line. I don't need your super net with the nice handles on it. You just throw your net out. I guarantee you're going to catch what I want you to catch. And for us, family, this is a way we need to live our lives on a daily basis. The truth is God had bigger plans for Peter. God had bigger plans for Peter. Catching fish was one thing. Catching men was another Guess which one's better? You see, catching fish provided food for somebody for a day or two. Maybe they dried some. Maybe it was a week or a month. But what happens when some person's soul catches Christ? They're saved forever. Their life is transformed forever. Jesus is saying, catching fish, that's good. But you want to be busy catching men. You want to present that good news so that men can be saved. And so the creator knows best. If we pick up in verse 12, we see a second, a subsequent miracle, another pair of miracles in this part. Verse 12, it says, And it happened when he was in a certain city, and that likely is that area of Bethsaida and Chorazin, which is up on the hillside, not very far, it's just a mile, mile and a half up on the edge of the hillside on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. Now, I want to put this into perspective for you so that you understand it at the time. If this man was a leper, he was an outcast of society, he never had fellowship with anyone, including his own family. He stood afar off every day, not just this day. He was never touched. He did not know what it was like 
to have the touch of another human being. No kind words were spoken to him, and in fact, most of the time, harsh, degrading words were spoken consistently to him. In fact, the custom was that when a leper came into an area, they covered their mouth so that no one could see what they were saying or know who was speaking, and they would cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And people would move away so that this societal ill, this one who the Jewish people believed was actually cursed by God, it was considered the hand of God on someone's life, They must have done something really awful, and God was thoroughly displeased, and that was the chief reason that someone would have leprosy. This leper knew nothing of the kindness of anyone, including God. Behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell down on his face, imploring him, begging him, saying, Lord, if you were willing, you can make me clean. You see the voice of faith there? Lord, if it's your will, I know you can do this. This is the faith response. And I'm going to ask at this time that the communion team begin to pass out the elements of communion, and I would ask that you would hold both until we've received both elements. So you'll receive the bread first, followed by the cup. Uh, And please hang on to those. You see, Jesus is always willing. Jesus can always make us clean. And that's what he did at the cross. And then he put his hand out and touched him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the mind-boggling tenderness that this man was experiencing for the first time maybe in his life that anyone would reach out and touch him? All of humanity has the same basic need. And in fact, sociologically, when we study children, it is children who are nourished from their very first breath that do best in this world. When they are cared for, loved on, tenderly caressed, stroked, spoken to, it is those children who end up understanding fully what it is is really about to be a part of the human condition in the very best of ways. And he said, I am willing to be cleansed, and immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one. But notice what he does. And this is where the law and legalism and grace meet, right here, right in this passage, where the cross is visible, right in this passage. Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more. The great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of all their infirmities. And so Jesus steps into the life 
of one man, a leper. And I think the quickest analogy that you can make is just insert your own name there. Because you also were unclean. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. You see, this man was unclean because he had leprosy. We're unclean because we're sinners and we need a Savior. And so Jesus was presenting really the gospel message in a strange way. And he uses this word cleansed. You see, he healed the diseases, but he cleansed the leper. And there's a very subtle difference between the two things. Because we have to have our sins forgiven, we also have to have them cleansed. We, we have to be made right in the eyes of a holy God, but we also have to have the payment made for those sins. God is just. There must be an atoning. And that atoning came through Christ's blood. And so this next miracle is a mighty one because he cleanses this man. There are nine cases of leprosy recorded in Scripture for us. Jesus has just taught on one when he was in Nazareth. He used the, the picture of Naaman. And so Jesus healed the sick, but he's going to cleanse this leper. Why? Because the Jewish people considered this a, a stroke from God. It's like this person is so far off base that God is not going to touch them. And there might be some of you in the room today that maybe feels that way about God. I've watched so many people basically reject the grace of God because they think they have sinned the unpardonable sin. Or maybe their life can never be transformed. They're too dirty. They're too unclean. Can I tell you there's no such person? There's no such person. God knows everything you have ever done, and he still loves you. He still desires to have close and intimate fellowship with you. He's not put off by your condition. Just as Jesus touched this leper, he will touch any area and every area of your life to cleanse it. It's one of the interesting thoughts that we come across as John's epistles are written, for they're in 1 John chapter 1. They're in verse 9. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse, amen, from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? Every bit of it. All of it. That is what this leper needed. That is what I need. And that is what you need. And so Jesus is saying, look, I can cleanse anyone. I can take care of any stain. It's interesting because this man simply appears. There's no verb in this passage. As this man comes, it's as if Jesus has always seen him. It's as if he was always there. Why? Because we're all in that exact same spot. Jesus sees every one of us too. And he knows exactly what every one of us needs. He knows what needs to be touched in your life and in mine. And in the life of this leper. 
Notice Jesus didn't go through any ordinance. He didn't go through any steps. He didn't undertake any type of legal law to heal this man. He took exactly one step. He said, be clean. Now, why is that important? Because you're saved by grace and through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift. Your cleansing comes because you've believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You're not saved because you go to church. You're not saved because of your Bible knowledge. You're not saved because of what you do. You're saved because you've believed in the only cure. This is a picture of your grace. And it is also a picture of what the law couldn't do. Jesus in this passage does something miraculous in my view. He says, look, this is all going to be about faith. Jesus responds to this man's cry of faith. If it be your will, I believe you can heal me. Notice what the man didn't do. Do you have any salve? Is there any ointment you can put on me? Is there anything you can, can you lay hands on me and pronounce something over me? Can you put me into a program? Can you bring me to some area to where there's, you know, maybe you know where some miraculous healing waters are. He says, no, I believe that you can simply cleanse me by speaking it into my life. Brothers and sisters, That is exactly what the Lord Jesus does to us. He simply speaks it into our lives. And we receive it by grace and through faith. Amen? We have to get this. Because if you think it's you, then you're going to eventually run out of you. If you think it's me, I'm going to fail you. If you think it's church, that's not working either. If you think it's some program... It's not going to work for everyone. You're saved by grace. You're cleansed by grace. Your life has been made whole by grace. It is faith. That's the tool that the master uses to bring you to a right relationship with the king of kings. It's never been anything else. And so Jesus shows them this thing that the law couldn't do. Now, why did Jesus do what he did? And I don't want to belabor this for the sake of time. But you can read later in the book of Leviticus, the Jewish people had a whole series of things that needed to be done to cleanse a leper. And at the very end of that, not one, but two doves were required. Those two doves, one of them was killed. And its blood was then put onto the living dove. And then the living dove was set free to fly off into the heavens. Sound vaguely familiar to you? The innocent dove's life was forfeited. The blood of the innocent dove was put onto the dove that was guilty. And the result of the guilt dove was that it flew away to heaven. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And so Jesus was telling this man who was a leper, you don't need those doves. I'm going to do for you 
what the doves are only a symbol of. I'm going to cleanse you right here and right now by nothing other than your faith. By you simply believing that I will be that sacrifice and that my blood will be shed for the remission of your sin and that in the shedding of my blood, you will be set free to go to heaven. You see, church, Jesus did everything for a reason. There's not one word of his recorded in the New Testament that doesn't have a purpose. That's because grace wins every single time. Amen? So he's picturing this sinless substitute here by telling this man, you are cleansed. Notice what he tells him to do. Go tell the priest. Can you imagine the priest's response? Hey, wait a second. We have a whole series of things we got to do. What's this deal? You're no longer a leper. You see, the law would have cried out, oh, no, 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 it's not that simple. And Jesus is saying, oh, yes, it is. You know how I proved it? The man was no longer a leper. He was cleansed. Jesus said, I'm taking command over the fish, and oh, by the way, I'm taking command over the stain of your life. I'm taking command over the creation, and I'm also taking command over your cleansing. Brothers and sisters, Jesus still commands our lives. He still cleanses our lives. He still speaks into our lives those things which are impossible for us to attain ourselves. I could, I could forfeit my own life and it would not be sufficient for my own sin. So what I've done is I've believed on the only begotten Son of God that he died in my place, that his life was forfeited for me, paying the debt of my sin, that his blood was shed for me cleansing me from all of my unrighteousness. Not some of it, but all of it. And so I want to lead you in a simple prayer, first for the bread and then for the cup. But we do this because Jesus said to, and Paul echoed the same thing, in remembrance of him. And so let's pray over the bread and we'll partake together. Father, we thank you for sending your own son, Jesus, that he would come into this world and give his life a ransom for many, for those who believe. And Lord, we believe, just like this leper, we believe that you have healed us and you have cleansed us. And so, Lord, we thank you that your body was broken in place of our bodies. Lord, we deserve the beating you took. We deserved the nails. We deserve the crown of thorns. We deserve, Lord, all that was put on you. We deserve the spear in our own side. Lord, we deserve the death that you died. But you died in our place. And so we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We do this in remembrance of you. Let's partake together. Thank you.
If that weren't enough, imagine that this whole thing that Jesus passed along to the church and Paul echoed, he said it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He first took the bread and then he took the cup and he took that cup after supper. The cup of the new covenant. The the cup that was an undrinkable cup for each of us. We could have never drunk of this cup ourselves because we couldn't cleanse ourselves. It was the cup that healed the leper and it was the cup that healed you and me. It was the cup that Jesus said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we exalt you, King Jesus. You alone are holy. You alone are righteous. And we remember what you did for us on the cross, paying the price for our sin, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, making us new creations in you, Jesus, in Christ. The old things are passing away, and we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you'd use us for your kingdom purposes, for your own personal glory. Lord, would we like this leper walk out into this world and remind people that you can do anything with anyone who will come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.